0: The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, June 9th, 2017. From Slated to the Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Today, Donald Trump, in a joint press conference with the president of Romania, gave this succinct, I counted it as about 140 characters, critique of James Comey's testimony. No collusion. No obstruction. He's a leaker. There wasn't much more of substance there. He called Comey a liar. When asked if he had taped anyone, the president said, oh, I'll tell you soon. He was teasing it like a season finale, a rose ceremony with tiny microphones hidden in each rose, or not, we don't know, who knows? And for the showman, Trump teased it some more. Oh, you're going to be very disappointed when you hear the answer, don't worry. Ooh, I am intrigued. I'm going to be disappointed, tell me less. You know, this guy should cut 1950s movie trailers Coming soon. Thrill to the non-existent exploits of a taping system. Hold on to your hats as you won't believe the amazing letdown. Ladies, hold your feller as the showman-in-chief promises a revelation that won't not disappoint. Like when David Copperfield didn't make the Statue of Liberty disappear because he was in Las Vegas and it was 12 years after the CBS special. Or when David Blaine ordered soup and a sandwich. Not inside a box in any way. One of the great dazzling performers of our day performs his trademark three-dimensional chess. Like when Grandmaster Garry Kasparov faced down Big Blue. Not the IBM computer, Big Blue, but a guy named Elmer who is nicknamed Big Blue and can't play chess. The president promises to disappoint you at a later date. Are you not entertained? No, not in the least. On the show today, the UK election. A man from Maidenhead with a bucket for a head. Democracy, despair, despair, good citizen. But first, Larry Wilmore, creator of the Bernie Mac Show, senior black correspondent for The Daily Show, host of The Nightly Show, is here to talk about the show he really was destined for. The medium he was aiming for all along, maybe without even knowing it. Podcaster. Black on the air, host Larry Wilmore in studio up next. Larry Wilmore is black on the air. Actually, only half of that is true. He's black. But he's on a podcast. That's the name of his new podcast. I guess kind of in the cloud. But not necessarily on the air. You know, Larry Wilmore from such TV shows as Sister Sister and others since then. Hello, Larry. Thanks for coming <laughs> in. that you go with the Sister Sister credit. Yeah. I wanted to go hey, man, deep in a well. That's still got a lot of juice.
1: Those twins are still tearing up
0: showbiz. I would say yeah. of the shows you were on, many oh. appeal to similar, like overlapping audiences. Sure. And then that, if you had to map the yeah. universe of Larry shows, that is way out there. Well, I, it's amazing.
1: A show like Sister, Sister, it was kind of it had an appeal like Fresh Prince, actually, mm-hmm. where multiple generations, they just fell in love with those girls and they yeah. like following their lives and stuff. And they've been on other shows and they keep going back to reality shows because people just like them.
0: They're yeah. Just people that people like. How was your persona mm-hmm. as Daily as Senior Black correspondent on The Daily Show uh, different from your stand up persona and your real life persona?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question. You know, um, I think if you're going to be successful at something, you have to find a core of yourself in whatever it is. And either you're doing an exaggeration of that core or you're extrapolating it in some way, you're pulling something from it. So senior black correspondent, we were trying to figure out. I remember trying to figure out how to do this first because Stephen had just left, I think, at Helms, those guys. And Stephen was the best at doing that Stone Phillips, you know, <laughs> fake correspondent, iron jaw type yes. of sound like a, an anchor type of thing. He's really, his send up of that was brilliant, right? And very carefully observed and all that stuff. But Stephen was so good, he's in your ear when you're trying to do it, mm-hmm. which is not good because right. you're doing a, a worse, a, a pale imitation of his thing. So you have to find what your thing is. And for me, I've approached it from an acting point of view. You know, of, well, who am I? What's my point of view here? And somebody suggested, well, maybe you should be a Republican or that. I said, no, I don't want to be the opposite of what our expectations are. And I thought, well, My nature is to be contrary. You know, if the crowd is going with something, I'm very suspicious of that and I'm going to (laughs) go somewhere else. But it's not always going to be the opposite so much as it's going to be contrary to what we're thinking, you know. And once we got that, I knew, okay, so that's my point of view. I can always own that and I can always find the truth of something from that. And it's what I've always done in my work. And I didn't even know it until I –
0: had to put a
1: definition on it i realized oh i've done that my whole career
0: so what in stand-up was where do we see examples of contrariness contrarianism in your stand-up where would we have seen that wow now you gotta now i gotta (laughs) go way back you know i'll give you a very simple
1: joke um when i talked about people would look at me because i'm light-skinned and they always ask me what i'm mixed with you know and they did that face are you uh, you mixed with Something. And I would say, look, if I was a beer, I'd be a Negro light. okay? And I am a third less angry than the regular Negro. So, and it's the third less angry line that is kind of contrary to what you're thinking. Like, because the black comic was always angry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you he know? had to be, especially in that yes. era.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. So the things that when you were black on stage, you were mad at Whitey. So that notion, what I was presenting on stage was contrary to what Hollywood thought of a black comic. I was undercutting their idea of who I was. You know, mm-hmm. I did that with all of my material. You thought it was going to be something, but it really kind of existed in a different area. Whether I was talking about politics at the time, or or myself, or whatever, and a lot of the jokes—some of them were one-liners, some of them were bits. I my act was very satirical and silly, and and some of it was straightforward and that type of thing. Too,
0: and so. and this is why audiences loved you, but Hollywood didn't know what the hell to do with you. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I did really well in clubs because it was a real hodgepodge of just fun, funny stuff, you know, Um some of and you just didn't know where it was going to go. And some and I was had so many different types of influences. And I and I think I put all of those influences in my act like um I could do like straight up political comedy in one breath and then in the other. I would have the audience start doing and thing. "Okay, I want everybody to clap their hands over here." Okay, now I'm going to divide the audience in half. Keep going. Now this half, I want you to do your arms like this. And go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, now everybody, this do your arms like this. And go, ooh. Okay, everybody, you got to do it. And then I would turn around and I go, and I turn back, and go, keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and I turn around like I'm about to start, and I go, keep going. <laughs> and, go, and they're doing this, ooh, <laughs> woo ooh, and they're doing all this. And then I would turn around and I would tell them this. I would put my hands up for them to stop, and it was like a ten second pause uh-huh. before I spoke and I would say. I have no idea for this. I'm really sorry, you guys. (laughs) I'm I'm really sorry. I apologize to you. I have no idea at all. I didn't even know what I was thinking. I don't know why I had you do this, but you should, you guys looked hilarious. I mean, what, what did you think I was going to do? What did you Uh, think I was going to do? But the audience loved that because I took them on a little, you know, conceptual journey. So a lot of my humor is conceptual too, where I'm setting up an expectation for you. And then it's met. And once again, that had a contrary ending.
0: Yeah. You know, <laughs> it went against your expectation in a way that you couldn't predict. That's that's Andy Kaufman or Steve martin And I, those are yeah. part of my influences, yeah. too, as much as... Where you in know, the act like them, would you do that, by the way? Would you bust that out early? To no, get that, that would
1: come about three quarters of the way through. Because that's when... See, here's how a comic thinks. That's when they're handing out checks mm-hmm. and people are signing a checks so they... What do they you call know,
0: that? The check break, or exactly. So, that so, so the check cle- break's a killer. You, you
1: can't do all your subtle, clever material. <laughs> you know, you got to be hitting them over the head right. with stuff.
0: I have this observation, and tell me if it's right or wrong. Sure. But please tell me it's right. Um, I find I'm sure it is right. <laughs> I find I found that the oh, if you look at the different personas of the Daily Show mm-hmm. correspondence, the over-the-top buffoonish opposite of who they were mm-hmm. were the white guys. Mm-hmm. Whereas you and Jessica and Wyatt and Samantha, none of you did that. None of you were right. really... I mean, you were crazy in different ways, and sure. maybe Samantha right. uh, was saying things that she wouldn't necessarily agree right. with, yet you really got a sense of her, she whereas... She was almost
1: the sex potty type of thing yeah, early yeah, on. Yeah. You know, she did that move a but lot. But Steve
0: Carell yeah. was far dumber than he is, and Stephen Colbert was, like, Correct. a mean blowhard. and Even John Oliver played yeah. the blowhard, and it was... I think that there might be something, it might be a lot of things, but there might be something to the stakes of a black performer being yeah. the opposite. Like if you were a Larry Elder type, right? maybe you could, it would be harder for you to live with yourself than if Stephen Colbert were his character. Well, it's uh, character. interesting,
1: because I wouldn't have a problem with that, yeah. but I think it would have had a shorter shelf life at the time. Yeah, It For me, it would have been boring, because it just would have been taking the opposite. But a character that I want to do at some point like, if I were to do a different version of The Nightly Show um, that didn't have to follow what Steven was doing, because Steven was playing a character, and I thought the best thing for me to do is to be real. Yes. Because my producer head always leads my performer ego all the time. Like, I have a horrible performer ego, <laughs> but I have a very confident producer head, you know? And and I was so like... So, meaning
0: I, you think you did worse than you did as a performer?
1: I always think I did horrible as a performer. But can't your you producer
0: know. side then st- then intellectually yeah. know it did well yes okay yeah, yeah.
1: completely but the performer ego mm-hmm. is very frail and it's it needs way too much assurances so i don't was listen this, to was it. this
0: true when you were doing titus and po- <laughs> Titus every <Andronicus. laughs>
1: every performer by the way feels this way yeah. so luckily i have the producer side so I, i'm not a crazy person right right because that's what drives a lot of performers crazy is because that they they need that assurance from the audience that everything's okay right but my producer side said, I have to be almost the opposite of Steven, you know, in the way I'm delivering comedy. Mm-hmm. If I try to do a character, it, it, there's too much comparison going on. But if I didn't have that comparison, a character I would have loved to have done is that black sheriff who's on Fox News. Clark. I would have yeah. loved doing the yeah. black sheriff yeah. show.
0: Just put a hat on. you. Yes. That's I, half. half I
1: would have. I would have loved to have done it. And right. I actually will do that character at some point because it's just a very funny character. Now, that character's funny to me because he's not just like Larry Elder. He's. You know, he's a he's a radio show host, but he's more of a dry to, to me when I think of not that he's a dry personality, but it's one note. But the mm-hmm. sheriff is fantastic. He's a sheriff, for Christ's sake. Yeah. He's got like medals. And, and he's he's got to be the sheriff of some place, you know. And his hat is very embroidered. Yes. Like, it's not just a plain hat. But also, <laughs> he must have a backstory. You're yeah. like, what's the sheriff's backstory? So this is a whole world you can invent for a character and you can do that opposite ideology at the same time. So it has both of those things that to me makes for funny comedy.
0: How would you, what's the best way to explore that in a skit? Uh, as, I might do
1: uh, it on my podcast. I'm thinking of maybe doing a couple of characters on the podcast. I might start doing the sheriff. Good. What's the podcast so, about? It's me basically just talking to interesting people like yourself. I love talking to people and I love interviewing. It's something I, I wish I could have done more in the nightly show, but. We were in that kind of roundtable format. Yeah. It wasn't even a roundtable. It was like three people. Who were, I like did it once. Triangle. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about. But it was very frustrating, you know, to have five minutes to have that discussion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was It was very frustrating. We just get started. And it's like, oh, you know, that kind of thing happens. But to be able to talk to someone for 45 minutes, one person, and you
0: can really find out who they are and present them to the audience is very exciting as i as i think as i compare the uh black on the air with the nightly show here's another observation tell me what you think yes, i think yes, that sir. the nightly show because of when it came out mm-hmm. was a lot about i already
1: agree with you <laughs> i know exactly what you well going. it was
0: a lot about Subtle racism, like subtle, pointing out instances of subtle racism. And 2017 is Mm -hmm. so much about overt racism. And it's not that we took our eye off the overt while paying attention to the subtle. There's no reason to fault anyone for paying attention to what was subtle. But man, that overt racism reared up and gave us President Trump, essentially.
1: Yeah. From my point of view... It's just racism. <laughs> yeah. Racism first. Right, right. Exactly. Um, like that was a very subtle lynching that just happened <laughs> over there. It was very, uh, it was just subtle, you know. No, n- not to knock the butt. I know exactly what you what it is, is that because you had Obama there, that racism wasn't on people's mind in the same way. You know, whereas Trump just doles it out like it's, you know, candy at a quinceanera you put in a pinata. <laughs> you just bust open and it's going everywhere. But uh my my lament is that we weren't on the sh- on the air to cover that with the uh, group that I had. We yeah. had such a good group. Did you, remember, you think
0: it was going to mm-hmm. happen because of who you are? Just What, what do, do you mean? mean? Did you think that Trump was going to happen because you saw Nate Silver's polls because you read the oh. national mood or more because of who you are and what you know in your bones? Um
1: Yeah, maybe like a dog sensing the earthquake is coming type of thing if that's what you're talking about. Um, I look, I've been a huge politics fan for a long time and the presidency I'm fascinated with, you know, and how, how people get elected and why those things happen, why it's inevitable that we had a George Bush an Obama and a Trump, I mean, that they all follow each other and Clinton. It's fascinating to me. I find elections more a reaction to previous elections than a contest between the parties.
0: So true.
1: You know, so I never considered Trump running against Hillary so much as he was running against the legacy of Obama. Right. And the Obama years. That's what he was really running against. And that's what people were really electing. And Hillary never made the case. We didn't know whether she was continuing that legacy or if she was running against it.
0: Yeah, she you was know. trying to thread so many things rather than just boldly yeah. saying, even even risking making a mistake. Yeah, in the next 4 she years never, of Obama. She, and if you don't like Obama, you're wrong because he got us out of the recession. She didn't
1: make that case. She never she made that case. She never made did, any bold She did case. a little bit at the end. Yeah. Bernie Sanders interestingly enough ran against Obama and the and the Obama legacy. Mm-hmm. He actually did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he wanted to tear down the whole system. Um the the last person I can remember, and even Al Gore ran away from Clinton, as you recall. You know, he kept him on the sidelines, yeah. you know, because of the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. And a lot of people think he was hurt by that. He didn't even win his own state. The last person to fully embrace... Although well, Tennessee
0: was not trending Democrat <laughs> yes, exactly. for a while. But he would have won with Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's probably been in Tennessee less than most people said to be from yeah, a state. Have I've been there, there more than he has, yeah, I right? Yeah, think so. With yeah. Both of us there. Anyone with season tickets, too, say. <laughs> the natural predators <laughs> no, might have
1: been there The more. first... uh George H. W. Bush ran as Reagan's third term
0: because Reagan is charismatic, and George W. Bush was George H. W. Bush was George H. W. Bush.
1: But yeah, that's right. But if Gore had won in the Clinton economy, yeah. I believe he could have
0: won. Right. Gore's yeah. message is some was something like, "What's wrong with peace and prosperity?" Should have you said and Clintonism.
1: And he seemed to be ashamed of you know maybe rightly so of all the Clinton stuff, but he just didn't even have to think about all that. So, right. You know. Uh, But anyhow, uh, that's all the forensics of all this. But Trump, to me, was more of a reaction to Obama. And the cynicism of it that I really didn't like was the whole birther thing and the energy around the birther movement that he started. uh, And that energy, like the way he talked to Megyn Kelly, to me, the reaction that audience had was that same energy in the Obama stuff that to me, that ugly kind of energy where he's misogynistic and people are cheering
0: yeah and i guess we told ourselves sure 25 30 35 percent of the country and mostly in the republican party that'll be quarantined there and it wasn't true but it's amazing.
1: If there hadn't been so many candidates, I wonder if it would have been the same. Because he was able to, to do well with 25%.
0: That is true. Look how long he had 25% yeah. and he won. Right. Yeah. But the, the other candidates were preventing other people from popping also. Yeah. I would say the big thing was he nailed immigration. In a way, the Republican yes, Party was out of step aching. with their voter.
1: They were aching yeah. to hear that. Yeah.
0: That's I agree. Right. And that's, that's a fault that's in my uh, opinion, you know, there's no, many right. immoral elements to you're that, right but he that. nailed the big it, question that activated their emotions
1: is what I disagree with. by with my good friend, not to drop a name, but Senator Bernie Sanders, I have a slight disagreement on that where the part of his message that resonated the most was not about trade. And about those missing jobs in Appalachia. It was about immigration. Yeah.
0: I agree with you completely. But I understand why it. Bernie would say otherwise. Would you naturally yeah, think otherwise because he has the trade message. And so for him to say, yeah. oh, look how, look how well Trump resonated on trade. This is what I'm yeah. saying. It val- validates a lot of Bernie's agenda.
1: And people slam the Democratic Party for engaging in identity politics. But it's okay when the identity is is white working class people. Well, that's not an identity. That identity that's is just
0: the magi- That's just <laughs> okay. who we well, are Larry, naturally. Larry, those <laughs> are just
1: normal people. Come normal on, people. that's the heartland, Larry. It's you know the what? Hot
0: land. You know what? One thing that bothered me, and I bet it. Well, I wonder if it bothered you. How Trump Probably. would always say, "Look at how bad race relations have gotten under Obama," and this mm. would drive me crazy. And there were polls, yeah. and it, it extra it drove me crazy extra because people like Chuck Todd or the people, uh, you know, John Dickerson would say, well, look at this poll. The polls of Americans do say race relations have gotten worse. <laughs> Wait, what is? That? how do you poll race relations? <laughs> Does that mean, that could mean uh, I hate black people more, so I'm going to say they've gotten worse. That could mean I perceive that black people don't like uh, me more. <laughs> that, could, that could be, oh, I'm doing fine, but definitely I see some stuff over here. It's a terrible poll. It's really cynical. Yeah. I don't think they did get worse. I think maybe people don't understand how progress works. Correct.
1: I would agree with that. It's a white centric question. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, are you more aware of racism, white people now yeah. than before Obama? Yes. And we don't like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> stop, stop taking your cameras out, black people and showing us racism. Would you stop it, please? I don't want to be aware of that. And plus, Obama wasn't like the black janitor. It wasn't his job to come in and clean up like 300 years of racism in four years, for Christ's sake! <laughs> he
0: wasn't the mystical black man. Yeah, to express, exactly. Yeah.
1: Magical Negro is yeah, going to get yeah, rid of racism. Yeah. Why is that his job? You know? <laughs> Especially with the economy tanking, his first job is to wipe out racism. Yeah.
0: yeah. Last question. Big one. What? What do you think? I want satire to be funny. Yes. How do you think satire too. can be effective, if it can at all, in bringing about any sort of political change?
1: Well, I have to disagree with the premise mm-hmm. uh, of that. Um, the thought that that's satire's job, I think, is a faulty premise it's given too big of a job to satire. Satire's job is to make you laugh. Yes. Now if you want satire to do other things like work at a gas station and you know <laughs> go clean people's houses and that you got to sit down with satire and yeah. have a good talk with it and let it know it has other job descriptions, you know. But when satire signed up to do its job, they said, "Okay, satire, we just need you to be funny yeah. and insightful." Yeah. "Good. I'm in. Count yeah. me in." I never said I knew um, Excel. And What's could you also on? make people change their minds? No. Wait. No, 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 no. (laughs) that's not what i signed up for satire did not sign up for that people are are giving that to satire you know so i don't think that's the job of satire i think that's the job of voting i think it's the job of organizing i think it's the job of activism i think it's the job of information shows like this or whatever you know but it is not the job of satire
0: larry wilmore thank you so much thank you And now the spiel, we hereby announce Lord and Lady Buckethead, Lord Buckethead. He ran against British Prime Minister Theresa May. He lost badly. To be fair, even if he had won all the Buckethead demographic in his district, he still would have trailed by a lot. This is part of the British tradition of all comers being allowed a place on the ballot, though if they don't get a certain threshold of the vote, they do not get reimbursed. So there, next to Theresa May, just like next to Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, in his district were some freakazoids. Jeremy Corbyn was flanked by a man named Nigel Knapp. He is a member of, well, listen.
1: The official Monster Raving Loony Party.
0: The Monster Raving Loony Party, or as we call it, the Tea Party. That party was also represented in Theresa May's district in Maidenhead. Hope,
1: Allen, known as Howlin Lord Hope. The
0: Official Monster Raving Looney Party. One hundred and nineteen. Yeah. Now, the thing is that when that particular result was announced, it wasn't clear among who the people standing on stage with Theresa May was representing the raving loonies, because next to her was a guy in a t-shirt with free someone whose name I don't recognize, a guy in a huge Elmo suit, he wound up getting three votes, a guy dressed like the English version of Boss Hog meets Benny Hill, and a guy who dressed as if Darth Vader mated with Beaker from the Muppets. Then it became clear who that particular fellow was. Harvey, Jonathan, David, known as Lord Buckethead, 249. And then Lord Buckethead dabbed. To be clear, Lord Buckethead is not an actual lord. His head is not an actual bucket. It's more like a cylindrical solid with a slit for eyes. And why is this guy running for the House of Commons anyway? Shouldn't Lord Buckethead be in the House of Buckets? The British election was a semi-endorsement of Buckets, a quasi-repudiation of Theresa May, a perhaps cautious embrace of Jeremy Corbyn and his Labour Party. The Conservatives were rejected, probably because of ill will over Brexit, but the Conservatives did really well in Scotland, where they overwhelmingly voted against Brexit. Now, you will hear different analyses of the strains of voting blocks and the issues that shaped this election. There was a youth surge. The conservatives mismanaged their message. But I have a more unified theory of what went on. And it is true not just of the UK and not just of this vote in the UK or the Brexit vote in the UK, also true of France and the Netherlands and the US. You ready? Whatever we voted for last time, we're against it this time. The electorate does not like it and the electorate wants everyone to know they don't like it. It's not true of everyone in the electorate, but it's true of enough people to sway the votes. Some people stayed home, then they come out. Some people voted one way, then they voted another. People who never voted National Front did, or never voted Tory, or never voted for Geert Wilders, then they did vote for Geert, or Le Pen, or Tory. They voted Obama, Then they voted Trump. Lots of different explanations about why this happened. But my main unifying theory is this. The voters are against the people they elected last time. And this is where I, as a careful observer of human nature, a booster of democracy, am supposed to say, and you know what it all adds up to? That glorious way in which we keep our leaders accountable. But I am beginning to think it is more a schizoid way that we never commit to a decent course of action. The worst we say about democracy is something like, well, it's the worst system except for all others. And that really lets democracy off the hook, doesn't it? Look, today I was stuck for 39 minutes in a tunnel under the East River. I guess I could say, well, that A-train, it's the worst train except for all the other, except this. A-train sucks. It sucks. And sometimes democracy sucks. Usually, if we admit it sucks in little ways here or there, we have these built-in excuses like, you know, it sucks because the wisdom of the people has been short-circuited by advertising or big dollars. Or if the voters decide wrong, it's because some malefactor convinced them that their vote wasn't worth it or that the system disenfranchises voters. And this all limits true democracy. It's not that some of these aren't true in some ways, but overall, the problem with democracy is democracy. I mean, the biggest reason why democracy sucks is because the people constantly decide wrong. Not always, not even most of the time, but a lot of the time. They choose the worst policy outcome and they do it for a lot of reasons. Some of these reasons, they were misled, the choices were hard, they are stupid, or I think this is a big one, they can't possibly invest enough time to acquire the expertise in all these complicated areas. So basically, we have a system that often chooses worse policy instead of better policy, and we're supposed to say that's okay because the people chose it. Who cares if the people chose it? I want the good policy. There is a benefit to people feeling empowered, and in the overall assessment of what's a good system, I think you should take that into account, that if people feel empowered, even if they're you know choosing to build a road on the left side of town instead of the right side of town and the right side would have been better, the empowerment... That, that has some sway. But that's not really what's going on. We're not making close choices where things are almost as good as the other. We're just deciding wrong over and over again. Now, listen, I'm not a monarchist. I'm not an elitist. I'm not a theocrat. I might be an elitist. It depends how you define it. But let us be honest. We are constantly choosing bad politicians. Why? You will hear a million excuses. I'll tell you why. Because we're bad voters. We can't admit that we're bad voters we we admit this with all other areas of life where public choice is at stake uh what song is that number one is it the best song? I don't know. There's a whole lot of reasons why songs go to number one, and very rarely is it because it's the best song. Or in an era a little before our own, when there weren't 2,000 television stations and unlimited streaming stations, and all shows got to stay on forever. When they would cancel shows for bad ratings and renew shows for good ratings, the shows that kept getting renewed, the popular shows, were terrible shows. Often, Beverly Hills Billies and I Dream of Jeannie, and they kept getting renewed because they were favored by the most people, even though they sucked. And We got that, and we admitted that, and we didn't fool ourselves about it, and we didn't say TV networks are the best system except for all others. People are often wrong. When the choice is a politician, we have to buy into a fiction that the crowd is wise, that the system works. Or if it doesn't work, it's because a voting machine broke down, or a Russian told you that the Pope endorsed Donald Trump. What a government should do, however it gets there, is to pick the best policies, I mean, look, it's infrastructure week, as you know. I don't have to tell you this. Did you know that we haven't raised the gas tax since 1993? I don't mean as a percentage. It's like the same 18 cents since 1993. And gas is relatively cheap. And we have fuel-efficient cars, so we spend less gas. This is how we fund the roads. We fund the roads via the gas tax, yet we never raise the gas tax. Why not? Fundamentally, because your fellow voters are miscalculating. Because democracy is screwing us. Occasionally, it's killing us. Bridge collapses. But in general, it's certainly making us sit in clogged intersections with no good solution. Because raising a gas tax is an action that voters would punish. It wouldn't take a lying politician. It wouldn't take a dishonest politician. It would just take a politician saying, that guy wants to raise the gas tax. And that guy who wants to do the right thing would be voted out of office. And that is just one of hundreds of examples. Another example of democracy not being that great, midterm elections. The president's party almost always loses seats. Presidents, what, they're always bad in their first two years? Nope. Is it always a good corrective? That's not the case either. It's just vacillating human nature that says, I want chocolate. Nah, I'm sick of chocolate. Give me vanilla. Or in the case of American politics, replace chocolate and vanilla with Democrats or Republicans. Meh, Republicans and Democrats. I'm going by demographics. Or in British politics, where it's Labour and Conservatives, they, they vacillate widely between two disparate worldviews, based mostly on, did we zig last time? We gotta zag this time. It's hard to have a system of the people rule when so many of the people drool. It's the demos, not the crassy. And yes, I do agree that it is the best system, but only by a little bit, and not always. I've looked into the political science. There was a philosopher named Jason Brennan who wrote a book called Against Democracy. It's not a slam dunk, but he does raise a number of trenchant critiques. There's a whole bunch of myths about democracy, and he really explodes them. It makes us better people. It makes us more attuned to our fellow man. It gives us a feeling of empowerment. All those things are demonstrably not true. And because they're not true, and once you understand and read a lot of literature about how they're not true, that they kind of make us more clannish and less willing to give a hand to our fellow man, fine. Once you believe that, you say, well, then what should a system of government do? It should, I guess, deliver the best results for the most people. There are other ways to frame that, but that's... A pretty good system, some sort of idea of utilitarianism, or if you're born randomly in a society, which is the best society you would want to be in. And it's just not clear that democracy does the best in getting you there. The downside of non democracies, though, is bigger. I will say that. And that is the best reason why democracy is better than the others, because democracies do tend to avoid famines and war with each other. So, in terms of just presenting calamities, they do seem superior to other systems of government. Beyond that, I don't know. Singapore and China have done a lot better for their citizens than their more democratic neighbors. Anyway, I say, have at it, UK. You've hung parliament, now unhang it. And as for American democratic partisans, they they seem to be getting a lot out of it, huh? Like identities, right? Now we could call ourselves nasty women or deplorables. The t-shirt or at least Twitter hashtag industry is going bonkers. Democracy gave us that. Maybe I'm just put off by the fact that Elmo didn't even reach double digits. James Comey called our democracy glorious and messy. Lately, it has been a parade of horribles or a basket of deplorables or even a buckethead of unsensibles. And that's it for today's show. Chris Berube was going to vote Lord Buckethead, not the guy around in England, but the Guns N' Roses offshoot band. If just producer Mary Wilson is upset, it's because we gave short shrift to this fella. Commonly known as Mr. Fishfinger, Independent 309. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, points out that Mr. Fishfinger's amorphic costume would allow him to run in future elections as Mr. Julianne Carrot. Please follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash gist. I have been on there interacting with you guys like three times this week, and I'm going to push it up to five, I swear. The gist. British elections might not select a good leader, but they do at least provide us with a balanced diet. Um, peru de peru de peru, and thanks for listening.